The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, happy Tuesday, everybody. You're watching Scorebox. I'm Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. U.S. stocks closing solidly in the green despite a grim start to July as U.S. virus cases spike by 250,000 in five days, with White House health advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci warning younger people are being affected and immunity may be finite. We are still knee-deep in the first wave of this. And I would say this would not be considered a wave. It was a, a surge or a resurgence of infections superimposed upon a baseline. The Shanghai Composite adding to five days of big gains, but a Trump administration aide warns several executive orders could target China over manufacturing, immigration and jobs. French President Emmanuel Macron raising the profile of three key ministries in a bid to support the economic recovery and create a solid government for his re-election campaign. Plus, Samsung shares see red despite an expected 23% jump in second quarter operating profit. As the South Korean tech giant says, chip demand is helping offset weaker smartphone sales. Right, good to see you, everybody. The number of people, though, in the U.S. Uh, who have tested positive for coronavirus has now hit a two-month high, with hospitalizations continuing to rise. The positivity rate has jumped to 9.1%. That's the highest figure we've seen since May, and comes as California saw a record increase of more than 11,000 cases, with the governor adding that the number of critical patients has risen by 50%, 50% over the past two weeks. The U.S. President Donald Trump has taken aim, though, at his opponents and the media touting his administration's progress in beating the, quote, China virus. He tweeted that deaths are down 39 percent, adding the country now has, quote, the lowest fatality rate in the world. Well, meanwhile, the White House top health advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, says any protection from a vaccine may be short-lived. This is, of course, the whole antibody debate. He also warned that the average age of patients has dropped by 15 years compared with just a couple of months ago. We are still knee-deep in the first wave of this. And I would say this would not be considered a wave. It was a, a surge or a resurgence of infections superimposed upon a baseline, Francis that really never got down to where we wanted to go. If you look at the, at the graphs from Europe, Europe, the European Union as an entity, it went up and then came down to baseline. Now they're having little blips, as you might expect, as they try to reopen. We went up, never came down to baseline, and now we're surging back up. So it's a serious situation that we have to address immediately. Uh, and there's the most extraordinary thing going on at the moment. As we see the coronavirus concerns, the actual economic activity in the States continues to be very good in the large part. America's services industry activity surged to pre-pandemic levels in June as companies look to reopen business following lockdowns. The ISM non-manufacturing index 
grew to 57.1 during the month, beating expectations. It's the highest reading since February and one of the largest one-month increases in the survey's history. And I'm going to do a little bit more detail. I'll show you the markets over my shoulder. Uh, and just new orders, for instance, to 61.6 from 41.9. So big um, contraction to big expansion. Business activity, the highest uh, figure we've seen in years to 66, I think since 2004 from the previous 41. Exports to 58.9 from 41.5. Perhaps so the missing part of the equation was that we still remain solidly in contraction uh, on employment at 43.1. And uh, also, I should say, the market services PMI data came out yesterday. It was much better than we saw in the previous month, but still in contraction at 47.9. As far as today is concerned, you will be looking at the jolts because, of course, hiring and opening, absolutely key if we're going to see a continuation of this rally as well. So the Nasdaq up 2.2%, uh, the S&P 500 1.6% as well. I should be said, though, that the Dow and the S&P still below uh, their 200-day moving average. The Nasdaq, as I'm sure you're aware by now, on an almost daily uh, move to record territory as well. Let's have a look at tech stocks as well. Um, we saw big moves in some of these stocks as well, including, where is it now? There you go, Amazon closing above 3000 I think for the first time ever, up $166, 5.7%. Uh, which coincidentally is exactly the same move to the upside that we saw the CSI 300 over uh, in China as well. Alphabet moving 2% higher, 4.7% higher for Twitter as well. Let's get to Jeffrey Cleveland, senior economist at Payden and Rigel. Uh, very good morning to you. You look very happy this morning, Jeffrey. Look, a very simple question. I'm just reading your bookshelf. I can't concentrate. There's some great books up there as well, including Bill Gates' The Road Ahead. So let's look at The Road Ahead as well. Is it the economists who are, are going to be right or the market? I.e., There seems to be a very big disparity between, yes, the economy is recovering, but perhaps not at the same pace that the market's going up. Well, the market tends to lead. It gets ahead of itself. We saw that uh, way back in 2009. The S&P bottomed out March of 2009. I, I would argue we didn't have a solid labor market in the U.S. until maybe 2014 or 2015. The unemployment rate kept rising until later in, in 2009. So markets tend to react quickly. And, you know, what's really different this time, Steve, the central bank, the central bank has acted quickly. It's acted aggressively. Uh, they've crossed the Rubicon, if you will. They're buying corporate bonds. They're buying ETFs. So you have to factor that in. That's new. So I think that's driving the, the quick market reaction. But I have to say, uh, the, the data out yesterday, that ISM manufacturing, sorry, the non-manufacturing, the services data that you mentioned, uh, that looks V-shapey to me. So we're, we are seeing economic data, whether it's retail sales, durable goods, the services, ISM, it's all looking V-shape as well. So it's not just the market that has snapped back here. There are those out there as well. And I was reading one from, I think it was Livermore Partners this morning, saying when the market realized that the Fed does not have infinite resources to support this market, then we are in for a very aggressive uh, move to the downside. What would you say to those skeptics? I would say maybe it's a it's an it's a good theory. It's empirically testable, Steve, and we've heard it before. If you go back to 2009, 2010, 2011, if I had a dollar or pound sterling for the number of times I heard that the Fed was going to run out of ammunition and then the market was going to wilt, it didn't happen. The economy started to recover and things grew and corporate earnings grew and we moved on. So we've heard that story before. And this time, I think the, the unique thing, I think Boris Johnson actually, if I could use that name on this program, he said it very well. He said, what, what happened here was not a typical recession. We went into hibernation 
as the world comes out of hibernation, we will go back to normal and things will recover. That's an important difference from 2008 and 2009 even, where we had you know malinvestment in bad sectors of the economy, whether it's residential real estate here on the coast in, in California or somewhere in Spain, and you had to liquidate those bad investments, and that took time. So this is actually better in some senses because we're, we're collectively leaving our hibernation, maybe not here in California, where I was indoors for most of the Fourth uh, of July weekend, but I think by and large we are we are recovering from here, and that's good. So it's a testable theory. It, it's possible that the markets will see another correction sometime in the fall, but we we always hear these sort of scare stories. You're, you're always welcome to mention Boris Johnson on the show. We are apolitical, as okay. you know, Jeffrey, as well. Uh, but the problem is for Mr. Johnson and his Chancellor Rishi Sunak who is going to be getting up on the podium tomorrow to support various parts of the market and the economy, is that there are some serious job losses going, not in sectors that can pick up those jobs again very quickly. I'm talking about engineers. I'm talking about aerospace. I'm talking about automotive. I'm talking about seriously important jobs for any economy that wants to increase uh, its economic activity and increase its productivity going forward as well. Those jobs aren't going to come back in a hurry on either side of the Atlantic, Jeffrey. I think that's true. But keep in mind, Steve, you go back to April in this country, people said the unemployment rate is going to continue to rise. We're going to get to 19 percent on U.S. unemployment by June. It did not happen. Instead, we started adding jobs back quickly. The unemployment rate is coming down. Now, you're right. It's alarmingly high. We're at 11 12 percent on the U.S. unemployment rate. And we need more industries to pick up and to hire people back. So that that will take more time. I think the unemployment rate is something that will keep you until maybe two years from now where we get back to closer to uh, pre-crisis levels. So that is true. But here, keep this in mind. For investors, that just means the Fed is going to be easy for a long time to come. I think we saw that last week in the Federal Reserve minutes. So they're going to be at zero. They may even do some outcome-based forward guidance. And that really just means easy monetary policy for a long time. And, you know, that, that means when I looked uh, just before this segment, 10-year Treasury yields at 67 basis points, something like that, there's no yield there. There's very little inflation. I think investors still stocks, risk assets generally, credit sectors in the in the U.S. bond market, for example, are still attractive places given the economic backdrop. Jobs will come, I think, as as we continue to recover. I don't know about you, but I'm pouring through the John Bolton book at the moment. I can't see it behind you, the room where it happened. And one thing that's very clear is the president, which we knew anyway, the president likes uh, to use political events outside or indeed uh, contention outside of the US in order to improve his popularity in the US as well. Do you have concerns uh, about trade wars, maybe Trans-Pacific, maybe with other parts uh, of the world, which actually could dent this economic recovery ahead of the presidential elections in November. Yeah, it's fairly unpopular, as you know. So there could be some surprises here. A lot could happen. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Michael Dukakis leading uh, in 1988 over George Herbert Walker Bush. And then we know how that ended. Similar story, the summer of 2000 with Al Gore. And we know how that story ended. So I think the big message for me and for clients and investors, we can't make big judgments right now based on what's going to happen in portfolios, uh, you know, based on the outcome of the election. So we're, we're looking out, we're taking a longer term perspective. And I think what I would say is that the prediction markets are right, Steve. The prediction markets, uh, the last I checked, are pointing towards a democratic sweep. And if that happens, we do probably have higher taxes in this country. But the book I'm reading right now is called The Deficit Myth. And it's the idea that uh, Stephanie Kelton's book, and it's the idea that, you know, deficits don't matter. 
that we can grow them. And that uh, so I think if we do have a Democratic administration, we get higher taxes, we get more deficit spending down the road. Some investors worry that's is that bad for stocks? I'll trade some of that, I think, for less of what you were bringing up, the tariff, the constant Twitter tariff uh, trade wars type stuff that we have to deal with. That'll go away under the Democratic administration. I so even, that one even if we get well. that. Uh, Jeffrey, one yes. more for you. I've got to move on. Inflation is dormant worldwide, but the money supply and this $6 trillion that's been piled into markets globally, or sorry, economies, I shouldn't say markets, that was a slip, wasn't it? Into economies globally as well. Is it, is it never going to create inflation, Jeffrey? We might have inflation at some point, but we, you know, again, you know, not to go back to the 10 years ago, but that's another scare story, Steve. I, I know we, we talked about before that central banks were printing money and expanding their balance sheet, and that was going to lead to inflation. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. And you know, that's because there are countervailing forces. And so I think one of them is this the slowdown in demand that we've seen. That certainly weighed on prices. As things get as we leave hibernation, to go back to that term again, it's possible that we do get consumers out there spending again and we do see some price increases further down the road. But I think that's a three to five year story, Steve. That's not a one to two year story for me. So I'm not I'm not worried about inflation. I'm not really worried about outright deflation either. But I think the worries about hyperinflation or money printing causing inflation are, are once again misplaced. Absolutely door talking to you this morning, Jeffrey, on our little book club segment. Thank you very much indeed for that. Jeffrey Cleveland, senior economist, Payton and Rygel. I want to see what the books are. When I was over there, I could see the rest of his books, but I couldn't see them all over here. Anyway, brilliant. OK, let's move on. The Trump administration has released a list of companies that received money through a $660 billion bailout scheme for small businesses. Remember, it was a bailout scheme for small businesses. Now, medical offices, restaurants and car dealerships were among the biggest loan recipients from the so-called Paycheck Protection Program. The disclosure comes as the White House faces calls uh, by and from Democrats uh, for more transparency around the legislation. And for more on the disclosure and an in-depth look at the companies named on the list, head to our website at cnbc.com in case you didn't know. Right, let's take a look at these Asian industries. Shall I go over there or am I staying here? I'm staying here. Okay. Now, uh, the Chinese bubble. This is what a lot of people are concerned about, about the extension of this rally as well. So I'm looking at a bit of copy that uh, I've got from uh, Bespoke Invest. And it's looked at previous moves of such aggression to the upside uh, on the the Chinese markets. And it's very interesting as well. I'm not sure it gives you too many answers. It says basically we're up 5% yesterday. Uh, That's five up sessions in a row. And we're at a five-year high. So what happens next when we get into bubble territory on these markets? Well, apparently, it can go either way. There you go. That doesn't help you very much as well, because according to Bespoke Invest, um, over a one year period, um, the median move uh, two thirds of the time on the CSI 300 is down 11%. Okay, so that's the median move two thirds of the time. But the problem is the huge risks are on the tail, because when the index is up over the next year, it averages 60% gains. There you go. So you can either be down 11% or you can be up 60 Quite extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, Let us move on. Ahead, major tech companies are taking action in Hong Kong to protect user data after the implementation of China's sweeping national security laws. More on that after the break.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. session yesterday, European markets very, very swift out of the gates, then they tempered it, then they, they rallied into the close. What are we looking like this morning? Well, it's a very calm start to trading uh, for the market. Uh, it's giving back a little bit, but it's had a, a really strong run, even the FTSE joining the party to the upside, making a couple of points, uh, a couple of percentage points to the upside. But it, nothing compared to what we're seeing in China, which I was talking about before the break. And China is the subject which uh, Sam is looking at now, taking a closer look. I'm just thinking, if we had state media in the UK, and they said uh, it's a very healthy market and it's going to improve our wealth effect. I think we'd all laugh at them, but it's a very different case in China, Sam. Absolutely. I mean, mainland markets are certainly keeping that momentum after yesterday's massive surge. We've got the Shenzhen Composite up over 3% out of lunch break. The Shanghai Composite uh, also edging higher, around 1.5%. And the US dollar Chinese yuan is trading at 7.01. As you mentioned, investor sentiment uh, certainly uh, continuing to be driven by that uh, front page editorial uh, from Chinese state media, perhaps, uh, which did say that China needed a bull market to build strength. Um, So a bit of a Official encouragement uh, is perhaps uh, uh, doing a few things today. Uh, it comes after investors uh, had certainly been uh, cheering these plans to reform uh, China's capital markets, uh, including a revamp of uh, China's benchmark index to include more high-tech strength and get rid of some of those loss-making companies, which certainly is significant given this broader technology dispute we're seeing between China and the United States. And that has been one of the factors that's really been behind this resurgence we've seen of China. Chinese companies actually heading home to list. And speaking of that, uh, we are keeping a close eye again on SMIC. That is China's big chip maker. And a lot of attention is on that company today because, of course, it kicked off its Shanghai share sale today. So this could potentially be uh, the biggest listing on the Nasdaq style uh, starboard since it started last year. And that's after SMIC more than doubled its initial target. So it is looking to raise around $6.6 billion dollars. Um, The company's Hong Kong listed shares actually closed up at a record high of 40.10 Hong Kong dollars in anticipation for this. It did surge again at the open this morning before going back down. Another company that we are looking at uh, is Cambricon. That's another one. It's a Chinese AI chip startup. And that is because it says it plans to list in Shanghai and raise around $370 million. And I suppose this is significant because, of course, we are now seeing China really throwing a lot of support behind these homegrown technology companies in the face of these tensions to try to be uh, more self-sufficient. So it really does seem that chip makers uh, appear to be lining up to now list on the mainland to try to take advantage of um, some of this sentiment. And the starboard looks like a very hot destination. Back to you. Thank you very much. President Trump, meanwhile, is considering several executive orders that take aim at China. That's according to his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who told White House reporters any action could target manufacturing, immigration and jobs. He provided, though, a few details on the nature of the orders, but insisted the president is looking to, quote, reset the balance with China. 
Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, said the recently passed national security laws backed by Beijing will restore the city's status as one of the safest in the world. In her weekly press conference, Lam attempted to allay fears that the new measures would undermine freedoms guaranteed by the one country, two systems, adding the new legislations are relatively lenient compared with similar laws in other countries, even China. Major tech companies uh, have said they've suspended cooperation with government requests for personal data in Hong Kong following the implementation of the Beijing Bank national security laws. Facebook released a statement saying it has paused such services until new legislation is reviewed. Google and Twitter both said they had put reviews of data requests uh, as the laws were put into action last week. Meanwhile, a spokes man for TikTok has told Reuters that the short-form video app will exit the Hong Kong market, quote, within days. The company, which is owned by China-based ByteDance, has made the decision in reaction to the new security measures. And we're going to hear plenty more on the situation in Hong Kong later today when we speak with the city's uh, or the, the region's last British governor. Don't miss our interview with Lord Chris Patton. That is at 10.30 Central European time. China's ambassador to the UK, meanwhile, has warned the British government of the consequences of any potential U-turn on allowing Huawei to be part of the country's 5G infrastructure. The UK government is reviewing the Chinese tech company's involvement following a security review, whilst the Prime Minister Boris Johnson has expressed his concern about the holistic state vendors. Uh, Liu Xiaoming said Downing Street needs to be careful about the message it sends with its decision. The consequences, uh, there might be many. First, it damaged Britain's image as an open, business-friendly, free environment, transparent environment, as they claim to be. It also sent out a very bad message to China uh, business community here. They're all watching. They're all watching how you handle Huawei. You know, that will be, if you get, get rid of Huawei, he sent out a very bad message for other Chinese business. He may also send out bad message for other foreign business. Uh, let us move on. President Macron has reshuffled his cabinet in an attempt to revitalize his presidency ahead of the 2022 elections. The new government under the Prime Minister Jean Castex involves three super ministries and is seen as a move to the right. Uh, but emphasised the environment after the Green Party recently won big in local elections. Ah, oh, Charlotte. Charlotte, Monsieur Macron must look back and say, I was young once, I was the upcoming star of French politics. Now it's Gérald Darmanin, 37 years old and potentially uh, running one of the big super ministries as well. Uh, is this tack to the right to, are they Sarkozyists or Sarkozyites? Is, is that going to really get him more votes? You're right. The shadow of the former president Miguel Sarkozy is very much present in this government. You know, President Macron, as you said, wanted to relaunch and kickstart his uh, presidency ahead of the next election. Really, we've started a new campaign and he needed to restart, to make that restart a new government. So naming the new prime minister on Friday, they wanted to go fast. They don't have any time to waste, especially given the economic and social crisis uh, linked to the COVID-19 crisis. So they wanted to go quick, put this team in place. So now uh, the, the, all the new names have been put in place and President Macron calling about a new path, a new path. 
doesn't look too new really in this new government. There's no big surprise, no big new name, no big draw there. Uh, foreign Affairs, Health and Defence Ministers are the same ministers in place. Bruno Le Maire stays at the Finance Ministry as well. Um, they changed his title slightly to, to include uh, Economic Recovery in his title as well to uh, mention what's coming ahead as well. Um, one little shift that is interesting is they have a new Environment Minister that now is number two in government. So try to signal here that the green agenda is very much on the government's radar here and one of the priorities uh, putting uh, Mrs. Uh, Madame Pompili in number two of the government there. But apart from that, no big news. As you say, Monsieur Darmanin, who was at the Budget Ministry before under uh, Bruno Le Maire, is now Interior Minister. He's a close, close ally of Emmanuel Macron. So now having this big, important uh, ministry that the, his predecessor, Monsieur Gassaner, had seen as mishandling the Gilets Jaunes protest. And so uh, the uh, replacement in that ministry was very much expected. But new past, new past doesn't seem so clear here. And what has been clear really is that Emmanuel Macron wants to take the reins again. For some, it's, un it's unclear to see how he ever took a back seat. But now with this new prime minister who was virtually completely unknown from the wider public, not a political operator, but very much a high civil service, someone very much appreciated across the board, including with unions, but someone who's just a good, ex very good at executing things. And he said himself, the prime minister on Friday in a TV interview, say I'm not here for the limelights, I'm here for results. So it seems that President Macron very ready to take the front line of all policies for the next two years ahead of his potential re-election. Very much taking love uh, uh, surrounding himself with a lot of close allies of President Sarkozy. So maybe he should take some lessons from there because Nicolas Sarkozy failed to get re-elected for a second mandate, which was the first in 30 years. Something to take maybe take lessons from. Uh, what we know is that the first cabinet meeting is today ahead of a president address, a president interview on Bastille Day on, on uh, July 14th and then the Prime Minister will present the priorities of his new government uh, the week after that. So we'll hear more from this new government and the new path that Emmanuel Macron has been talking about in the past few weeks. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.